This knocked my socks off when this one came to me, when Paul was talking to Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will not be of value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by law. I have dyslexia. I was really nervous about this talk because I'm doing quite a bit of reading tonight. So we're going to go back one sentence here so it can make sense. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You who have fallen away from grace. Now, hear this next sentence. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Hear that. I'm going to say that one again. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor non-circumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Ew. Really let that sink in. This isn't Jim speaking. This isn't a psychologist speaking. This is God speaking through Paul. When you try to be good enough, you cast aside God's free gift. When you try to justify your existence by your own power, Christ can't help you. Because you're saying, no, thank God, I'll do it on my own. Okay. You'll still be back in that snowbank, won't you? From Corinthians. He is the one who has helped us tell others. He, meaning Jesus, is the one who has helped. He is the one who has helped us tell others about his new agreement to save them. We do not tell them that they must obey every law of God or die, but we tell them there is life for them through the Holy Spirit. The old way, trying to be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, ends in death. In the new way, the Holy Spirit gives them life. Hear that. Feel that for a moment. When you try to be good enough, to be a good enough Christian, the only thing that waits for you is death. Not only has Christ hung on the cross for nothing, and that's just that alone is enough to break your heart, isn't it? The worst kind of death for nothing? Why? No thanks, I'll do it on my own. Now, if it was me up there on the cross, I'd be real upset with someone saying that to me. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have got to deck them? Luckily, Christ is Christ and Jim is Jim. I'm becoming like him, he's not becoming like me. So he loves us even when we throw that gift away. When we throw it in his face, he still loves us. Don't hear what I'm saying. Feel 
what I'm saying for a moment. Take a deep breath and feel God's words, not Jim's words. Do you really want to shoot yourself in the foot that badly? Do you really want to throw that precious gift in his face? Or maybe, maybe God knows what he's talking about. Maybe he does. But then Paul talks about what happens when we do try so hard <clears throat> to be legalistic from Romans. But sin used the law against evil desires by reminding me that such desires are wrong and arousing all kinds of forbidden desires within me. It's that don't think of purple again. When you try to think about the law and try to follow the law of your own steam, all you're going to do is fall flat on your face. Does that mean the law is bad? No, it doesn't mean the law is bad. Paul spends a lot of time telling us how God would like us to be. And so we skip by the how and move to the what, don't we? And Paul in, in, in Ephesians and lots of different places says, these are the kinds of good living. This is how God would like us to be. Okay, I'm going to be that way right now. Except I can't be. Because the harder I try, the more I resist. The more I resist, the more ashamed I feel. The more ashamed I feel, the more distant I need to be from Jim. It's a vicious circle that has no way out, as long as you're trying to do that. So who are we trying to obey? Who is God? You know what God calls himself? I am. Yahweh. That's not accurate pronunciation, because no one can pronounce the four letters that he put together. Uh, you, any of you that can pronounce uh, Y-H-W-H for me, please? Come on. Come on. Hurry up. Aren't you good enough to pronounce it? Hmm? And of course, the more ashamed you feel, I can't say my own name by the time I get that self-conscious, right? What is Jesus' name? It isn't Jesus, actually. That's, that's a translation. Do you know what the, the Hebrew name for Jesus is? Yeshua. Yeshua. You know what that means? I am saves. God's name is I am. Jesus' name, technically his name, Yeshua, means I am saves. You look at that name, I am. You talk about absolute pure transparency. God is perfect transparency. We can't even look at his face. It's such pure love and transparency. Jesus comes in human form and is also transparent. In the garden, he's transparent. He's, 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 very, he's very down to earth. Jesus was very down-to-earth guy. There was, we got to remember that about him. I would really suggest Gail Irwin, he's, uh, the Yahweh style, really goes into that in more depth. I'd really encourage you to read that. Gail Irwin's just an amazing, amazing fellow. What God wants is relationship. 
He wants a transparent relationship. That's what he wants. Because when we turn to Christ, the gift of grace allows us to have face-to-face with Christ. Now, when Moses... I kind of like Moses, too. You know, what do you want, Moses? Well, I want to see your face, God. I want to see who I'm talking to. God says, well, you can't do that because it would kill you. That's how powerfully, transparently, perfectly loving God is. To see it would be to kill you. So he, he puts Moses down in this little thing, and he gets past him, and you see his backside. And he could live through that. Moses could live through seeing the backside of God. He couldn't see the face. It would have killed him instantly. He comes down off the mountain, and his face is just amazingly aglow, just from seeing the backside of God. And it took time for that to begin to fade. But we can look right into Jesus' face and live. Because it says from Paul again in Corinthians, but whenever someone turns to the Lord from their sins, then the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit who gives them life, and when he and where he is, there is freedom from trying to be saved by keeping the law of God. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. Hear that. He doesn't say, you turn toward him, the veil comes down, boom, you're perfect. Right? He says, we become more and more like him as the Spirit works through us. Freedom comes because grace says, I Christ accept you where you are in transit, love you perfectly where you are, and will not love you more as you become more like me. Isn't that a bummer? Where's the incentive? You know? I mean, God's not going to love you more as you get healthier. So why bother? You know, that whole notion of cheap grace. Do you know why you bother? Because when you really look into his face, when you see that what he wants is relationship and transparency, you're drawn to him just like Nathan was drawn to Jesse. That's why it works. Because we come as children to this wonderful, loving big brother that accepts us perfectly right where we are. Doesn't mean he likes the stuff we're doing, but he loves us. And that gives us the freedom that gives us the freedom. But you can say, well, yeah, but Jesus says we're supposed to obey him. It says in John, if you love me, obey me. Ah, see, there's a catch right there. See? I've got to obey him in order to receive his love, right? Gotcha, Jim. <laughs> I knew there was a trick to it. You notice, particularly as adult children, we always look for the trick. That little catch, you know, where everyone gets into the show, but... Our ticket doesn't work. Get our hopes up. That's clinical talk again. He is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who leads into all truth. Leads into all truth. Doesn't shove into all truth. Doesn't badger into all truth. Leads into all truth. Hear the difference. 
Big difference. And the Father has loved me, further on in John, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you may, that my joy may be with you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Now this is the kicker. This is the command we're to obey. Love each other as I have loved you. How did he love us? Well, he loved us perfectly, but he also loved us transparently. He wants us to be real with each other. Do you know how many people are dying in the pews with a smile on their face? Dying inside? There's a lot of people that aren't going to church that are also dying inside. I'm not blaming church when I say that. But how sad when you have to put on a plastic face to survive in church. God's own house. Intimacy and transparency are messy. They're messy. Jesus was messy in the garden. He's sweating blood in the garden. And he says, hey, come on, guys. Wake up. Keep me company. I'm lonesome. I'm scared. Wasn't a very good Christian, was he? He needed more faith. Right? If Jesus had more faith, he wouldn't have been sweating blood. Oh. He knew what was ahead for him. That blood sweating was accurate. It wasn't a lack of faith. But we expect more of ourselves than Christ expected of himself. That somehow that we have to have this phony baloney, I'm fine, are you fine? That's fine, we're all fine. So let's go out and witness how fine we all are. <laughs> and then the, un, not the unchristians, the, many of the unchristians are more transparent <laughs> and say, wow, you look pretty phony to me. Well, it's because you don't have enough faith. Faith presents that plastic mask. I don't want faith. And so non-Christians say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. How many times you told that, you know? I'm not good enough to be, well, none of us are good enough to be Christians. Some of us are smart enough to be Christians, smart enough to take the free ticket. None of us are good enough to be, the, to be, to, to be good Christians. We're just Christians. But God wants transparency. He wants relationship. And he wants us to relate to each other in that kind of transparency. And that's why things like care, things like God's Way Out, and, and uh, other 12-step programs where Christians are real with other Christians, where Christians are real with non-Christians, people come to the Lord. There are a lot of people in care that are Christians. And when they read Higher Power, they know who the Higher Power is. Truth in advertising, I warn in the dedication page who it is for me and who the model is based on. But they don't say, excuse me, I, I, I don't really think you're a Christian, are you? 
So I, I, I think maybe I shouldn't talk to you. You've got to accept Christ before you can come to the meeting. Now whose style is that? Jesus' style? If that's in his name, it sure is not in his nature. And I'll bet that just frosts his cookies when that happens in his name. Can't take me anywhere. The fact is, God doesn't want us to feel guilty. He doesn't want us to feel ashamed. He wants us to change. Why? Because it's in our best interest to change. But isn't it okay to judge just a little? Just a little, just for fun? Can't we judge just a little bit? I mean, come on, guys. So this is what Jesus says about that. Do not judge! Pretty clear to me, or you too will be judged. Or in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, people say to me, Tim, how can you be so non-judgmental? And I say, because I'm selfish and smart. I don't want to be judged, so I'm not going to judge others. I'm smart. I'll let God do the judging. I'll do the jimming. Let God do God's job. Let Jim do Jim's job. And Jim's job is not to judge anybody. Observe? Sure. Give honest feedback in a loving, caring way? Absolutely. Make you feel terribly uncomfortable? Shine a really bright light and mirror it back? Absolutely. You know, the more I love somebody, the more penetrating the feedback is. And they say, don't love me so much, please. But the fact is, there's no judgment in that. Let's get from Paul. Because see, we use Paul a lot of times to justify our judging. From Corinthians, I care very, this is Paul speaking, I care very little if I am judged by you or by human court. Indeed, you'll hear this, I do not even judge myself. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. Let the Lord do it. That's, he didn't say that, but I mean, that's what he's really saying. How arrogant, how absolutely arrogant we are to judge ourselves when Paul himself says he doesn't find himself worthy to judge himself. Wow, that's arrogance. You know some more arrogance? Out of the billions of people on earth, I'm the only one that's committed bad enough sin to not be forgiven. And that's arrogance. I mean, you can win the lottery with better odds than that. How arrogant to think that of all the people in the world, Jim Hinman's the only one that screwed up badly, badly enough that God can't quite get around forgiving him. Or even better arrogance than that, yeah, I know God forgave me. I just can't forgive me. Oh, that's much clearer. Thank you for making that clear to me. So you're putting yourself above God. Aren't you? I mean, help me understand it any other way. All I can understand is if Paul himself says, I can't even judge myself. I don't judge myself. Then who are we to judge ourselves? Does that mean do a no-brainer? No. It says, notice what you're doing. Hand it over 
serenity prayer, change what you can, hand over what you can't, and keep moving forward in that loving relationship. Judging kills the spirit. It prevents transparency. It truly prevents transparency. You can't judge and be transparent at the same time. God wants transparency. When you're choosing to judge yourself or others, what you're doing is saying, I would rather indulge myself in this little fun activity of judging than do what God would like. Okay, that's up to you. But I find it much more useful not to. I have changed so much over the years of being a Christian by not judging myself, by truly trusting the Holy Spirit to work through me as I battle and scrape and complain and gripe every step of the way. Oh, come on, Lord, can't I do this? <laughs> you know, let's make a deal, you know? And I struggle and I struggle. And before I, before I look, I've changed. And I'm sure he's just laughing. Fooled that guy, didn't I? Because God does have a sense of humor, doesn't he? He picked me. You know, I used to, I, I, about five years into being a Christian, I was at this little church, and the, and the pastor had this gift for, for praise singing. And I would stand up, we'd all be standing up, and we'd be singing. And I would start <coughs> sobbing from way at the bottom of the belly, sobbing. I mean, just, just these welling waves of, that's why I called, that's why I came to the concept, hurts so good. It's like these waves would just, and I just, like this. I don't sing good anyway, so I mean, the person next to me is crying because of my singing. I was crying because I kept getting these flashes that as imperfect as I am, he still will use me where I am if I will let him. I don't have to get all gussied up to be used by God. I just need to be willing to start where I'm starting and trust the Spirit, open my mouth, and go to that place in me where the Holy Spirit is, I believe, and say whatever comes up. Before the talk tonight, I was real nervous. I got up here, I wasn't nervous. I was out there before. Now, it's the Spirit. God's giving the talk. You can like it, tell him so. If you don't like it, you tell him. Because I'm not giving the talk. I spent hours and hours preparing to let go of the steering wheel. Hours and hours. More, <clears throat> more hours in preparation for this talk than any talk I've ever given in order to let go of the steering wheel. I typed out this beautiful outline and I'm not following it. <laughs> you know, I think God could at least have let me follow the doggone outline, don't you? A rump, a rump. Let's, let's, let's hear it, you know. Let's make him change his mind. God wants us to have a sense of humor. Recovery without a sense of humor is lethal. You know? Yes, I'm in recovery. <laughs> I have 87 years of sobriety. I am grateful. I get a headache just trying to do it. You get somebody that has one day of sobriety, and they're going, whoa, I got a day under my belt. Now that's somebody that got the program. 
or they have 20 years under their belt, but they've still got that same wiggle in their tail. You thought I was going to say something else, but I'm, I'm on good behavior. The fact is, it's the wiggle, it's the excitement that comes from being a child that allows the transformation to take place in the first place. You look at a kid, he isn't saying, well, it wouldn't be proper to be real enthusiastic, so I'm going to witness by giving A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Now, the kid goes, wow, you want to see my big brother? My big brother can beat up your big brother. That's kids, isn't it? That's what Jesus wants us to become. Is that no-brainer? No. Does that mean that you can do whatever you want? No. You get the consequences of what you do. You get the consequences. Any loving parent allows the child to have the consequences of their choices. That's what freedom is. It's the right to take the consequences of our choices. That's freedom, isn't it? So we can be free to obey. What does obey mean? It means to be conformed toward in an organic sense. And Christ is an organic model. The body of Christ is an organic model. To conform in his likeness is what obeying means. It doesn't mean, okay, I've got these 27,000 rules. You broke one. I don't know which one, but I'll find it. And you're going to pay for that broken rule. That's not what... The Old Testament, the law, started out simple. Man made it so complicated that it would cross any rabbi's eye, improving it. Grace is a relationship of becoming more and more transparent of allowing ourselves to begin to tolerate the intimacy, the intimacy that comes from our relationship with Christ. I have never felt any closer to him than I have the last three or four or five weeks I've been working on this talk. Does that mean that I've been a real perfect angel during that time? No, just when I was working on the talk. <laughs> I was real close to him when I'm working, when I'm, when I'm doing my work as a therapist, I am so close to him, I just, oh. And then I go out and blow it. Because like, whew, I gotta get away from this guy. There's too much intimacy. I can only tolerate so much closeness, and I gotta get away for a bit. Is that something wrong with him? No. Is there something wrong with me? Well, if you're gonna consider being human, having something wrong with you. Human beings need to learn to increase their tolerance for intimacy. Relationship with Christ is incredibly intimate. It takes your breath away. It makes you cry. Good tears. I want you to turn to the other hand on the other side, the self-image thermostat. <laughs> I want you to really think about something for a moment. Assuming for a moment that you are a Christian, and if you are, that's really wonderful. If you're not, it doesn't change my love for you one bit. Not one bit. Do I feel the need to change you? No. I've never been given that, that, that calling. I'm a seed planter. 
Jimmy Appleseed. You know, I'm, I'm throwing seeds out every, I can't hardly open my mouth out throwing seeds out, but I'm not a harvester, you know? So if you're not a Christian, don't worry about it, as far as I'm concerned. Does that mean there's no consequences for that choice? I didn't say that. I'm just saying that for me, you don't need to become a Christian. For me. But you shouldn't become a Christian for somebody else anyway. It's like trying to get into recovery for someone else. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. I have clients that don't even know I'm a Christian. Because I don't have any John the Baptist shower curtains in the office. You know? Flashing crosses in the, in the, uh, in the, in the office. If they don't know him, they won't recognize his messages that I'm plagiarizing right and left. They won't recognize his wisdom put into America, particularly with the way I deliver it sometimes. But the fact is, sad to say, there's some Christians that don't recognize it either because they're so bound in the law that they haven't yet met him. Okay? My goal tonight is for you to meet my big brother. He's really, he's really amazing. He is the most amazing person that ever lived. Because of his nature, because of his nature, I love him. Because of his sense of humor, he loves me and uses me. And I'm glad he's got a sense of humor. I really am, because there's nothing neater than being on his team. But how does that affect my self-image? How does being a Christian affect your self-image? How does it affect how you are toward other people in terms of behaviors? You want to see Christianity? Go to the parking lot after church. <laughs> or before church, particularly right, you know, church starts at 10.45, and at 10.44, in the parking lot, you know, all these screeching brakes, people are trying to get in that last parking spot, and they're cutting people off, and the non-Christian goes, huh, that's Christians? No, that's human beings that happen to be saved. It's human beings that happen to be saved. Now, Jesus on the other hand says, hey, take my spot, it's okay. Most of us aren't that evolved yet. We're afraid we'll be late. And it's more important to be on time than to be like our big brother. Because we get so bogged in the details. What would people think? I have a lot of psychology down my neck. I have some conservative fundamental people down my neck because I don't talk right. Psychology, because I, I have the gall to mention Christ. The other side, because I'm too down to earth. Oh, well. You can see it tears me up and stops me from doing it, don't you? This is a kid who spent so many years before recovery being a chameleon to be accepted. That's a miracle. 
to have someone who was so desperate to be accepted and approved of taking this kind of flack from major sources and not really caring about it. That's a miracle in the truest, truest sense of the word. What kind of behaviors do we uh, accept from other people? And how do we act toward ourselves? You know, I, what really frosts my cookies is when someone says, well, I, I let this person abuse me because I'm a Christian. When they make the mistake of telling that to me, they're in deep, deep trouble. Jesus didn't let people abuse him. When he said, you want my coat? Take my shirt too. What was he saying there? Be a doormat? Did any of you really think of Jesus as a doormat? This big, strong carpenter? A doormat? That puts the ear back on, you know, when they're coming to get him, that puts the ear back. This is not a wimp! This is not a doormat. This is a man who knows what's really important. When we get that far evolved, we can do that. In the meantime, let's protect other people from bruising us as a loving thing. It's not okay if, if it's a sin to abuse other people and you let other people abuse you, whether it's a partner, your children, your parents, whoever that may be. When you let someone abuse you and it's a sin to abuse another person, you're abetting in sin when you allow them to do it. You could hear a pen drop. Think about it. It's true. Not in a fearful, defending way of protecting yourself from others. That's not what I said. Protecting others from bruising you in a loving attitude. That's what I believe my big brother would do. Now, he's so, so far more advanced than I am that a lot of things that I'm still sweating, he doesn't sweat. The worst possible thing I could do is pretend I'm where he is when I'm not. So I say, well, since Christ wouldn't be bothered by that, I won't be either. It's fine. It's, it's really okay. I, do, I don't mind. Because I'm a Christian and, and it's okay. And as I'm going, I want to kill you! Where does that go? It leaks all over the relationship. It prevents transparency. Doesn't it? Jesus was real. He took the perfume. And I'm not going to be around very long. Fine, go ahead and go for it. It's a new, new international. <laughs> Feel, I mean, Jesus speaks in our language. That's so important to understand. That. You put it in real fluffy terms, he becomes our parent. We see Christ, we see God through our parents. Filter. The parents that we grew up with. Now, for some of us, that's really not very handy. For others, it might make it easier. God is not my dad or my mom. 
God is not your dad or mom. That parent that says, there's seven grades from school and there's six A's and one B. Oh, what's this, what's this B? <clears throat> That's not God. That's your parent. Well, that's nice, but how did Billy do? That's not God. That's not his style. Don't confuse God with our parents. They're not the same. And if you don't know the difference, take the time to learn the difference. In the same way, I see a lot of Christians that say, you know, it must be that I just don't have enough faith because I still feel depressed or I still have this addiction or I still have this or that. But the Holy Spirit will not go where it's not invited. Parts of us that we have disowned, the Holy Spirit will not go to because he's a gentleman. You cannot invite where you don't own. So the reason that, that our healing is so uneven is not because the Holy Spirit is a slouchy healer. The Holy Spirit is a perfect comforter. We're just real imperfect receivers. So we accept a little bit here, and a little bit there, and a little bit here, and a little bit there. And these other big hunks of ourselves that we've disowned are still rotting in shame and self-rejection or in bitter resentment and, uh, and, and look what you did to me kinds of feelings. If you don't like the healing you're getting, notice how much of you you allow the Holy Spirit to get into. Some people say, you know, this recovery thing, this recovery thing is dangerous as Christians. But it's this recovery thing that allows more territory for the Holy Spirit to get into. As we learn in, in 12-step and in these different programs, to accept and own these parts of self, the Holy Spirit then can come through us to those parts and have healing. God wants that. He wants us to have perfect healing. He knows we'll have very imperfect receiving. Feelings about ourselves. How many of you here feel a sense of loving attitude towards yourself. I don't mean ego trip, but, but a sense of truly loving and valuing yourself. Oh, Jim, you can't do that and be a Christian. How can you be humble? I love myself. I'm also very humble. I know how far short I go. Did that stop me from loving myself? No. Humility isn't about not loving yourself. It's about recognizing where you're going toward. Humility is recognizing your big brother is perfect, loves you perfectly, and you've got a long ways to go before you feel real cocky. There's no room for cockiness in Christianity. But there's a lot of room for loving yourself. Because only by loving yourself are you able to open up to the kind of transparency that allows the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. It's not the Marin hot tub kind of self-love. It's not self-centered. It's not self-centered. 
But how are those feelings toward yourself, toward others? What kind of feelings do you accept from others? If someone's really loving and nice to you, can you tolerate that? Or you got to push them away? Can you accept warm hugs? Can you accept someone loving you as is? Gunja breath and all. Or you know, come back in a little bit after I brush my teeth, then you can love me. What is your self-image saying? The dialogue, how you talk toward others. I mean, I have seen some atrocious, atrocious communication coming from people who do love the Lord, are saved. I believe they're saved. But the kind of puke that comes out of their mouth toward those they love, the kind of puke they give toward themselves and self-abuse has nothing to do with my big brother and what you accept from others. I believe it's important to protect other people from bruising you as a loving thing, as a loving thing, as a caring thing. You stop them dead in their tracks because you're not afraid of them. It's the fear that prevents you from lovingly protecting someone from bruising them. It's the fear that prevents that. I really want you to take this self-image thermostat and start where you're starting. Don't fudge. This is a self-graded test. Where are you starting in all these different dimensions? How close are you to my big brother? How similar are you to him? How similar are you to the kind of attitudes that Paul and James and others are writing about? If you're real close, great. If you're way off, great. Because you're starting where you're starting and that's all that counts. If you are starting way over in the not so hot scale, Fine. Celebrate the fact that you noticed it. Celebrate the fact that you recognized that you're going north to Turlock from Modesto. And turn around. There's no need for guilt. There's no need for shame. Turn around. And enjoy the drive. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want a bunch of lemon-sucking kinds of, you know, diverticulitis, you know, seizure disorders, you know, that are, that are so uptight. God's got a sense of humor. He liked David. He loves me. He loves you. Whether you love him or not. And you know, funny thing, God doesn't need you to prove that he's alive. He knows he's alive. Whether you know it or not. He doesn't need you to confirm his existence. I believe we need him to confirm our existence. So we can stop using these weird mirrors that distort our perceptions and our behaviors and our feelings 
in our dialogue, how we talk to ourselves and others. Take a moment and close your eyes. Take a deep breath and just notice where you're starting without judging it. If Paul's not going to judge himself, don't judge yourself where you're starting. Just appreciate the fact that you're starting. Just feel what it's like to take a deep breath, to feel that big carpenter's arm around you, strong grip on your shoulder, whispering in your ear in this voice that's just amazing, saying, I love you. Just the way you are, I love you. Accept my free gift and love yourself and love others. Take a deep breath and just feel what it's like to let the Holy Spirit have this warm sensation coming up through your body. It may bring tears, that's okay. Recovery is messy. To feel the freedom of feeling that is the beginning. For too many people, Christianity is not translated into our self-image. It's something we believe rather than something that we are. And so we're distanced from the healing power that's offered to us. You can believe it and not experience it and it won't change you from the inside out. You need to actually let yourself not only believe it, but be it, experience it, smell it, taste it, feel it. Where you are, right where you are, and celebrate with him where you're starting. Thank you. You know, I'd like once to be able to give a talk and let him have the follow my outline. And that concludes God's grace and our freedom to obey. Thank you.